This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome to the program. Happy Thursday. Welcome to another edition of Sportsnet Today. Coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Downtown Studios. You're in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And on this Thursday, 82 of 82 games in the regular season in the books. For the Calgary Flames, they finished off their regular season last night with a victory over the San Jose Sharks, and now uh, begin what could be a very important offseason for the group as they look to uh, fix up some things, change up some things that didn't work this season, and hopefully come back at it next year with another shot at uh, being one of those 16 teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We've got uh, lots to get to on the program today. The outstanding production duo of Colton and Taylor today. We will chat with Peter Labardius in just moments to talk all things Calgary Flames. Talk about a couple of very, very cool debuts last night for Matt Coronado and Dustin Wolf. Thursday also means a check-in with our pal Adnan Verk from MLB Network and NHL Network in the Cinephile Podcast. And we'll take a look at some NHL clinching scenarios a little bit later on in Hour 2. We know what 16 teams are going to be in the dance but who is going to play who in round one? Still up for grabs. We'll dive into a little bit of that later on in the program. But let's kick things off like we always do. Head down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Say hello to the color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960. He is Peter Labardius, and he's brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit them at thegeminigroup.ca. Good afternoon, Lou. How are you, pal? I am fabulous. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, 82 of 82 in the books, and uh, as depressing as it might have been for some following the shootout loss to the Nashville Predators, um, a rather nice way to end off what was a disappointing season for the Calgary Flames last night. You know, I had a great time last night, Logan. I really did. Yeah. Um, it was the last one of the year, and the only mindset I had going to the rink last night was simple um i love watching this sport at all levels i love the opportunity to call games at all levels and what my number one passion in so many ways is to see the growth development and journey of young people who have 
the journey turn into even one night in the NHL. So in knowing that I was going to watch Matt Coronado and Dustin Wolf, to me that shed a very, very different light on the final game of the year. And, you know, and it was also for me about watching Tristan Robbins and Henry Thrun um, and Thomas Bortolo. Again, players who I had watched and consumed on the way to the NHL to see them do it with my own two eyes in that league. And it's hard for me to properly define outside of the way that I just did. This sport for me, there's nothing that gives me more pleasure than watching that journey, trying to figure out who I think is going to be on the path. And it usually starts in a lot of cases at 15 and 16 years old. And, you know, I love calling hockey games. So nights like last night could go to the rink and be sad and doom and gloom. And I just, I wouldn't go there last night because it wasn't worth it. Yeah, it's been a hard year. And I said it last night, I'll say it again. I'm not sad it's over. I'm not. Because the amount of frustration and discontent and in some ways dysfunction and the analogy, Logan, I think you're in the room when I made it. You might not have been. You might still have been gathering. I'm so fortunate to have you with us to help make our world so much better on our show is I said, this is like having a beautiful, although this would never happen with a vehicle from Wolf Cadillac. Mm. It's, it's like having a beautiful XT6, which I recommend. Yes. In the shop for a realignment. It needs one. The organization needs one. And the players need a break. And they need a change. And I think more than anything, they probably need a change of mindset that isn't expectation-oriented, but it has more of a day-to-day focus. And that's hard. And that's, and that's really not what we want to hear ever for any of us. But this team really struggled, Logan, when you think about it, with the day-to-day process of being good day in and day out. That's what has us talking after 82 games about the end than really just the beginning of the playoffs. Mm. And so changes have to be made. And I don't even think it's as much about big personnel changes. I think it's about mindset changes. And I think it's about approach and how you deal with people changes. And are you willing to do it a little different to get a different result? Even those things have served you incredibly well in the past. Whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, whether you're an owner, whether you're a GM, all of it. Take the ownership. There's great learning in it. Do better. And it's way easier said than done. But that was the struggle for me. And I watched it, and I lived it, and I consumed it. And at times I wore it. Didn't do well enough with the present and the day-to-day to get to a tomorrow. 
and the tomorrow was the playoffs. So a lot of the excitement level, as you mentioned, that we got to uh, see last night were those two debuts. Wolf and Coronado inserted into the lineup for the first time. They shared a rookie lap together, which I thought was tremendous. Uh, the two of them out there together experiencing their first time uh, ahead of an NHL game. And uh, interesting debuts for both of them, Lou. And let's start with uh, the young netminder who lets one in in the first period, but I thought certainly looked more comfortable as the game went on. And um, finishes off his first NHL appearance with his first NHL victory in front of his parents at the Scotiabank Saddledome. How did Lou see Dustin Wolf's first night in the NHL? Well, I, I try not to analyze somebody's first game in the NHL and let it kind of make me feel a certain way. So for sure, the body of the work, the body of the work for him has been he has achieved excellent elite status in every league he's ever played in, despite his size. But I think his his size, and I heard him say it last night after the game, I think when you're Dustin Wolf and you don't have some of the, you know, model for a goalie-like features, you're going to have a chip on your shoulder. And you're going to have to work harder. And you're going to have to be better at things that size doesn't allow you to be. So I think he's one of the smartest young goalies that you can watch. And I don't profess to know a ton about goal. Because I never played the position. And sometimes I question the reality (laughs) and willing and want for people to do it. And I just say that for some levity. But, you know, I, I never crazy i played a lot of baseball and softball um and loved both of them and probably in many ways would have loved to have been a catcher but i never liked the feeling of somebody swinging a bat in my face so that didn't work out so well um but he's played with a chip on his shoulder he is smarter his hockey iq is at a different level than most young goalies and that's what has allowed him despite the fact that he gives you more net because of lack of size and his ability to use it to read the game. There were four or five times, Logan, in the game where, not unlike a player, we don't talk about this enough with goalies, I don't think. Do you sense that your team's in trouble so you get a whistle? Or do you feed it back into a corner or feed it to somebody instead and now oh my goodness they've been out there for 50 already now it might be a buck 20 and it ends up in your net when the puck comes to you and you have time to play it have you already made that play in your mind before it gets to your stick he can do that i've seen it not just last night but i've seen it 10 or 11 times this year because it's something with goalies and one of the great impressions that was made on me is Franz Jean is the longtime goaltending coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I met him um, when I was doing, you know, Memorial Cups and a lot of junior hockey in my Sportsnet TV days. And we always had a good relationship. And we were in Tampa a few years ago, and, and we got to talking, and he started telling me about the game plans for goalies and how he you know, 
follows goalies and projects goalies and works with goalies based on how that goalie needs to play. So there's a plan for him, and it's not just stopping the puck. And that was kind of the first time in my life I went, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And why would I look at goalies and their IQ and their ability to feed a game plan any different than a defenseman center or a winger? And that's what I see with Dustin Wolf is his ability to process, be one step ahead, whether it's in positioning, playing the puck, freezing a puck. Because without his ability to process and have that hockey IQ, he has more holes based on a lack of size than Jacob Markstrom or Daniel Vladar at 6'6 and 6'4 would. So that's what I would say on the Dustin Wolf front. Uh, I like how you put that, and I know it's it is so tough to to an, uh, analyze in these one game sample sizes, especially when you know it's a unique situation. It is game eighty two of a season that didn't have meaning in the standing. So I'll ask you this about Matt Coronado: What was the difference for you in between viewings of Matthew Coronado? What changed, improved in your mind in between your viewings of the young man as he made his NHL debut last night? Well, last time I saw him with my own two eyes, I did see him probably three times in games on video, and it's it's harder for me when I'm not in person. I just don't get the same kind of feel. I take it. I saw a little more pace, but you know what I really like Logan the most? Mm. I didn't see much difference. And what I mean by that is the same guy I admired – in the summer world junior in Edmonton playing for team USA and a lot of the same characteristics that I was drawn to last night responsible was around the puck can shoot it really worked hard to get back to good places when he didn't have it. I liked his instincts in the summer and I liked his instincts a lot last night. And the other thing that I judge in terms of watching young people come into the NHL is do you look overwhelmed by the stage? Because it's bright and it's different and it's your first. I didn't see any fear in those eyes and I didn't see any trepidation in Matt Coronado's play. Now, again, the great lesson for me that I've learned this year and I try to be relatively even keeled in a business where call it critical. And I will be critical of our business at times. We want to anoint everybody. The minute it starts to look good. Cause in a lot of cases in, in our business, we want to be able to say that we did it first. I keep learning the longer I do this, which I've always valued I want to have enough viewings and enough experience and talk to enough people in my daily forum so I can do it far more educated and with less guesswork based on not just my own thoughts, but the thoughts from people who truly are employed and in the business of watching, viewing, processing, projecting, 
because the other thing about projecting, which is really what scouting in many ways is all about, Logan, it's incredibly subjective and it's really difficult. So we set expectations for players. We set expectations for teams. And even this season for me is really a learning about don't get ahead. Things do look good on paper. And I was one of the first people to say, I like the makeup of the people. What I didn't give enough credence to is how is it going to fit? Now, it made sense to me, and I've talked about it all season long, and I stand by it and will continue to on why certain guys prospered, why certain guys struggled, why certain guys never, ever found it, and why the group, I don't think, ever completely found it. That I stand by. But we're all in a rush to know the answer before we let it unfold. It's the old, and I know you like this one, Logan, so I'll use it again. It's the old, how do we find the middle ground between, in a Canadian market, of minutely breaking down every single game and understand that it's still 82 in the body of it that gets you to where you want or where you don't want to go. Mm-hmm. That's the trick. Yeah, 100%. For me, yeah. for me, that doesn't mean that's right for everybody else. Doesn't mean it's right for you. Doesn't mean it's right for Pat. Doesn't mean it's right for George, Maddie, Derek. Doesn't matter. That's the learning I've taken away again from this hockey season is each and every season is unto itself. And to think that we know or can project or can understand all of what might go into it, injuries, people lacking confidence, coming from one organization to another and know how it's going to fit, we don't. Even the most brilliant people in the sport, they don't. Not for sure. Because if they knew and could do something about it, wouldn't they fix it? For sure. And we asked them all those questions all year long, and they gave us the answers, the same one that you just said there, Lou. If we had the answers, we would have used them a long time ago, so... Uh, Trent with Peter Labardius, he's the color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960, the fan, following up on game 82 of the regular season for the Calgary Flames, a 3-1 win over the San Jose Sharks. This is a bit of a big picture question, Peter, and I, I don't know if you have an answer for it yet or if it for, it's for another day um, as we wrap up our hits over the next couple of weeks, but do you have a sense mm-hmm. of what's going to come to your mind when somebody asks you about what you saw this season? whether you're chatting with your son or you're just having a conversation with, you know, a colleague or a friend and someone says, Hey, you remember that 2022, 2023 season when they had Huberto come in and Kadri and Daryl was the coach. Do you, do you know what you'll say when you, you look back on what you saw over 82 games? Yeah, I, I can. And I can do it in a few words, which is, you know, is not my strength. It never fit. That's what I would say. It didn't fit. Or 
not everyone was pulling on the same rope. That's what I would say. I didn't see a unified group. I didn't. I saw a team that didn't seem to be able to have any answers to those questions because probably tried to get to them exactly the same way. And it didn't work. So that's what I would say. That's not anybody's fault. It isn't. Because I can't tell you that whether it's Daryl, whether it's that incredible group of assistant coaches, whether it's the GM who gives every ounce, heart, soul, doesn't sleep, works his tail off, doesn't matter. They all wanted it to be better. And it wasn't because they didn't care and they weren't invested. But I know what builds great teams. And I also know why teams are dysfunctional. Because I've been on both. And it's because the people on the team, it could be a 25, 30-person team, a 60-person team, is there has to be buy-in. And there can't be different agendas, and there can't be blame games, and there can't be one is more important than the other. There has to be some understanding, though, at a certain point of ownership, and maybe you need to listen. People's values of themselves, including my own, can get frayed pretty quick. And there's a lot of testosterone and ego flowing in the world of sport on the male side. 100%. It gets, it gets in the way. Yeah. And there's, and I'm sorry, and I, I don't, it, this isn't the old guy. This is just reality. In our business, in many businesses, we don't value team the way we used to. We don't. Everything's about self-branding. Everything's, look at our business. You going to try and tell me in our business, people don't benefit from having more social media clicks than others? Are you kidding? But you know where that is flawed, Logan? That is not directly proportional, in my opinion, to who has impact. But if you don't know the people well enough, and, and again, you measure an, everything analytically and not value people, you can get tricked. Analytics matter. The same way somebody has a million social media followers, it matters. I'm not saying that it doesn't. And people pay for it, and they pay a lot of money for it. But it's like sports. We're always ready in sports in a lot of cases, and it makes sense to pay guys who score a lot of goals and have a lot of points in the regular season. I mean, even that system is flawed because we don't really pay people based on when it's the hardest to do it and when it matters the most, do we? 
No. But yet your legacy is left there. Fascinating to me, mm. as you can tell, all of it. Yep. And it always is. And my mind never stops thinking about it, and it won't. Uh, one more before we let you go here on a Thursday, Lou. Tomorrow is locker cleanout day. It'll be our last chance to hear from uh, players, coaches, uh, maybe even the the GM. Uh, it's always a fascinating day to me, especially after uh, a season like this. Any expectations for what you'd like to hear or I guess what you're expecting to hear from this group tomorrow? No, because from a player standpoint and from anybody's standpoint, to be honest, it's not, it's not about words. It's about what you're going to do to do different. So you can tell me all you want, and that's fine. I'll be there to listen to most of it. I'm interested tomorrow in listening to two people, if they're available. Want to guess who they are? Head coach, the GM? 100%. Yeah. Lou, appreciate the time as always, sir. We will uh, chat with you tomorrow, and uh, by the time that we do that, we will have heard from, I believe, depending on how the schedule goes, we'll have heard from most, if not all, of the members who uh, speak to us on Locker Cleanout Day, so it should be an interesting one to uh, to break down tomorrow, pal. But as always, I appreciate the time. We'll chat with you tomorrow, hey? Absolutely. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Pete Lombardius, the color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. He joins us every single day to kick off the program, and he does so courtesy of our friends at the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group now offers air miles, reward miles. Visit them at thegeminigroup.ca. When we come back on the other side, time for our Thursday chat with Adnan Verk from MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. And perfect timing to chat with Adnan as a uh, team in the AL East is well on their way this afternoon to uh, setting a bit of MLB history as the Tampa Bay Rays just keep on winning. We'll chat with Adnan Verk about that and more around the corner here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Thursday on Sportsnet today means a chat with our pal Adnan Vert from MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. And I'll look for any excuse to chat with Adnan about pretty much anything, sports or movies or whatever. But perfect timing on today's hit as we uh, are joined by Adnan Vert as the Tampa Bay Rays are on the precipice of some history little midday affair in Tampa Bay against the Boston Red Sox. Rays rattle off seven in the bottom of the fifth inning and lead Boston 9-3 and look to start the season 13-0. and 
tying the uh, best mark in big league history held by the 87 Milwaukee Brewers and the 82 Atlanta Braves. Uh, Verk, it's been a pretty remarkable start for the Tampa Bay Rays. First things first, how are you, pal? Thanks for doing this as always. I'm doing great, Logo. You know, last week when we spoke, I had a headache, which is completely caused by fasting. I mean, Ramadan, just <laughs> for some reason, last Thursday, so I paused. If I, if I was particularly lousy last week, I had a headache, and then, of course, I can't take an Advil, so 7.30, I had a glass of water, and Advil, and I felt great. And I said, I got to tell Logan I was not at my best, but great to catch up, man, as always. Tampa Bay, it's crazy. If they win, they'll match. I mean, they did. the 82 Braves and 87 Brewers, longest win streak to begin a season in the modern era. They both started as 13-0, and 0, and anytime you can really go deep in the archives, as I can with baseball history, the 1884 St. Louis Maroons hold the record for best start in baseball history at 20-0. and 0. So they still got a little bit of work to do, but a 12-game win streak, which matches the race longest in franchise history, nobody saw this coming. And the biggest thing is, you know they can pitch. They can always pitch. The Rays got pitchers everywhere. You know, right? McClanahan's an absolute ace. Springs is a stud pitching today. Wait till they get Glass now back. Eflin was really good till they won the IL. What they do? They called up the number 18th prospect in baseball in Taj Bradley yesterday, and they keep on winning. But the real surprise has been their offense. Like it's crazy how much big boppers they have. Rosarena's hit safely 11 to 12 games this year. Wander Franco's hitting 340. He's got 12 RBI in 12 games this year. Brandon Lau had a four-game home run streak, which was snapped yesterday. Yandy Diaz has been great. I'm just really genuinely surprised at their offense. They lead the majors logo, 30 home runs and only five home runs allowed. It's crazy. I saw an article I really liked and I was dying to ask you about this too. Had they gotten to this point and um, I forget of course who wrote it. It was perfect timing for me to, to bring it up, but um, it was about not only was this an impressive, obviously accomplishment by the, the Rays that they're having right now, but is it almost made more impressive versus what the article was, was referring to that they're doing it, in a season that's seen so much change to the start of it with all the rules and all the changes we've seen around Major League Baseball? Like, to you, is it that much more impressive, or is it just sort of, hey, it's impressive no matter how you want to slice it? No, it's a, it's a good angle to it. I hadn't really thought about that. But, yeah, normally when, when stuff around you is going to help their skeleton, you kind of feel like, hey, let's get our feet wet, let's get settled. But for them to be like, oh, pitch timer, no problem. Bigger bases, great. Uh, you know, all of a sudden we're going to have no shift. Oh, good. Yeah. By the way, the Rays, as you know, going back, they really were the team. If I said to you, which team do you think of when I say shift? And you know, the Rays, when, when Joe Madden was there and Andrew Friedman was running the team, they were the team that shifted more than anybody. And then every other team did to catch up to them. So for them to go, hey, we're completely changing the game now, at least in a way that's antithetical to our success. And they go, Meh, no problem. It is impressive. You're right. I hadn't thought of it that way. But yeah, in a year like this, with considerable change. This is in many ways the most impactful thing that's happened in baseball since the DH came about, like in 1973. This is pretty cool that the Rays are able to do it. And by the way, they're up 9-3 right now <laughs> at the bottom of the eighth. So they're going to go to 13-0, barring a miraculous comeback. Uh, on a personal note, you've uh, sort of changed up how you do things at uh, MLB Network running the new show. How's it been the first couple weeks in? Oh, it's been great, man. Thank you for asking. Me and Harold Reynolds having a blast at 6 o'clock Eastern, uh, and it's been great. It's really been a fun way to kind of set up the nice action and just doing breakdowns of stuff that we're seeing and early highlights and diving into different storylines. And as you know, we'll get to the cinephile stuff. I had said to them, and Harold was really supportive. He said, hey, this guy is so passionate about movies. There's always actors, people celebrating, uh, you know, promoting their work. We should get them on the show. So sure enough, J.K. Simmons had him on on Tuesday, and he was great. I reminded him. I said, J.K., I interviewed you back in 2016, Celebrity All-Star Game. You went two for two. Not sure if you remember, Terry Crews struck out. 
but you had the best line. You said to Terry Crews, are you sure you're left-handed? And J.K. started laughing. He said, yes, I do remember that. And he goes, his swing was so bad. He goes, you remind me when you're coaching like little leaguers. You go, hey, are you sure you're lefty? Like, I think you might be a righty. Like, you're, you're really not making any contact. He goes, that's how bad Terry Crews' swing was. And as we all know, Terry Crews is jacked yes. and, like, played football. And, and, like, it was just so shocking that he struck out in softball. But uh, J.K. was awesome. Huge Tigers fan. He loves the Tigers. Goes back to the 68 World Series and Denny McClain and got a new movie coming out one day as a line. And I said to him, Logan, I said, you know, you go back to Whiplash where you won the Oscar. And look at what's happened since then. Miles Teller's in Top Gun. Gavin Chazelle won an Oscar for La La Land. Made Babylon. I said, is it true that you made Whiplash just because you got to belittle and just demean Miles Teller? He's like, absolutely. That was, <laughs> that was the real appeal for me. I got to bully that poor kid for two hours. It was awesome. So the show has been a lot of fun, man. And as you know, I've been able to, to squeeze in some movie stuff with the baseball stuff, which is always fun. That's awesome. Um, I'm curious, uh, as we continue sort of in the AL East, where there's a lot of cool storylines going on right now. It's been a good start for the Yankees. Uh, we're obviously talking about history potentially for the Rays as well. But uh, Chris Sale, a bit of a rocky start to his year for the Boston Red Sox. Remains confident. I think that's always something that you want to hear from a, a guy making that much money who's a starter. But how worrying is it for the Red Sox if he can't get things going? Well, it's very concerning because if you look at that division right now, the Rays are going to go to 13-0. And the Yankees and the Blue Jays are both 8-4. and So you're going to have to battle the Orioles for fourth spot. I think most of us knew going in, Boston was not going to be a playoff team. Maybe they could hang around 500. And they were going to do that primarily with their offense. Devers is an absolute stud. He's got five home runs. Tied to the American League lead right now. Yoshida's going to try to impress, obviously, coming over from Japan. Alex Verdugo. But they got to have some pitcher. Like, you can't just win every game nine to eight. You have to have a couple of guys you can believe in. And I felt like, in many ways, it has to be Chris Sale. Like, Corey Kluber got the call today. He's a six-and-a-half ERA. Like, he's not the same guy he was. He's on a one-year deal, $10 million to the Red Sox. And he's your number two. After that, you get the likes of Garrett Whitlock and Brian Bayo, young starter. Like, Sale's got to be your guy able to go up against other teams' top guys. So far, he hasn't been. So I think it's, it's very concerning, and it just further illuminates the fact Boston's pitching is just very leaky. Like, I mean, they, they are going to win those 9-8 games, absolutely, because they do have a great offense that's capable of putting up big runs with Justin Turner and others. But if Sale can't get right, I mean, that's a disastrous contract. I was looking back. I'm like, since he signed that deal, I'll double-check the money, but it's six years in a triple figure. Let's say mm. six years, $100 million. He's thrown, I look at the number, I think it's like 15 starts. In like two, two and a half years, like it's horrific. What a bad contract that's been so far for Boston. Uh, have you caught uh, any of the Blue Jays' home games since they've uh, gone back to Rogers Center? And if you have, what have you made of the – I'm sure you've seen lots of the uh, outfield renovations. It seems to be every second shot right now on TV, and I understand <laughs> why. Uh, there's a bit of a connection yeah. there between the team and broadcaster. But uh, uh, it looks like it's doing the desired effect, and it looks like we're getting some more offense out of it. Uh, in Toronto to go with uh, those new renovations. Yeah, 100%. I think it's exactly what the Jays wanted, which is an offense that's going to suit them a little bit more. It feels a little more homer happy, even though it's, it's funny about the configuration, right? Because the fence goes up a little more right and left, but then it's lower in center, and it worked perfectly for that incredible catch that Kevin Kiermaier made the other day. And so it looks beautiful so far. I've been talking to, obviously, friends in Toronto, seeing how good it's been and just, just a cool experience. They said, you know, that's, that's a lot of money, obviously, Rogers paid, right? $300 million, whatever it was, to renovate things. And we all know to actually build a park in downtown Toronto would have been a billion dollars, billion and a half. So if this is the way to do it, to improve things, I think it's great to see. And I look forward to seeing a game there. And I, I think it's clearly benefiting Toronto so far. They're hitting a ton of home runs. Uh, their starting pitching is a little worrisome. Gossman's been tremendous. God, he's been, he's been outstanding for them. The rest of the starters have been, you know, underwhelming. They're, 
There's 4.84 ERA right now they're pitching. That's sixth worst in the American League. And their starters specifically, 5.86 ERA. That's the sixth highest in baseball. So I'd love to see their pitching get better. But there's no doubt the offense has been really good and so far enjoying those new dimensions. Uh, and I know a lot of people are like myself here are struggling as lifelong Blue Jays fans. I'm used to Kevin Kiermeyer being the bane of my existence every time it felt like the Tampa Bay Rays were finally ready to be taken down Adnan and the, the Jays would finally get one over on this you know, team of no-name superstars. Kevin Kiermeyer was always there to hit a triple or to find a gap, make some stupid, ridiculous defensive play. And I've talked to my producer, Taylor, who's a huge Blue Jays fan as well, and we both kind of were like, I don't know how I feel about this guy that's torched my team for 10 years coming over to Toronto. It's been 10 games in, and I love the guy. I'm thinking about getting a Kiermaier jersey. Uh, He can rob home runs in Rogers Center. And you just see why this guy was so damn valuable to the Tampa Bay Rays. He's hitting out of the nine-hole, Adnan, and he's like one of their most important hitters on the season. Oh, 100%. I think we all knew defensively, he's a secret weapon. He's not even a secret, I should say. He's just a weapon. Like, his defense is going to be so good. It's not just robbing home runs. It's making catches that should be singles, you know, turning those around and saying, no, that's a catch. It's really even doubles in the singles. A guy might get a base hit because Kiermaier takes the right route. It's just a great throwing arm. He can minimize potential damage. We all knew that. But the offense is there as well, and I think that's really been the pleasant surprise. I think a lot of people thought as well, you know what? The defense is there. What about the offense? But he can do it all right now. And I think he's got something to prove as well. I think he also feels like, you know what? I want to prove that I've still got plenty of baseball left in my baseball career, that I can be somebody that's still important and special. And it really was the Jays' focus this offseason was run prevention. right? You deal to Oscar Hernandez, 27 home runs a year ago, but you get Eric Swanson for the Mariners' elite setup guy. That helps out Romano. You get Kiermaier in center. Springer was expected to be your center fielder. Hasn't worked out that way because of injuries. Move him over to right field. Hope he stays healthy. You get Dalton Varsho. Flip him with Guriel. All of a sudden, Varsho, obviously a gamer, good offensively and defensively. So I think so far, Toronto's moves are paying off. And you're right about Kiermaier. Obviously a charismatic guy. And uh, the ladies love him, too, with those, those eyes of his, man. He should be a model once he's done playing baseball. <laughs> Uh, one more baseball one before I switch up to some hockey with you, Adnan. And it's an interesting story out of Philly uh, that Bryce Harper might come back to the Phillies lineup in a few months' time, coming back from Tommy John surgery. But it might not be in the outfield. He might switch to playing first base for the Phillies. Wouldn't necessarily affect his return timeline, although it could get him back playing defense sooner than he would if he was going to the outfield. How do you feel about, uh, in the midst of Tommy John surgery, Bryce Harper trying to learn how to play first base? Yeah, I don't think it's ideal, man. Like, I love the fact he's so passionate about it and he wants to be involved in the baseball as much as possible. There's no doubting what a gamer he is. But at the same time, you know, you got to let the body heal. Like, I think when you're coming back from Tommy John, you got to be careful. Make sure that you are fully healthy 100%. And I guess if somebody would argue that, hey, there's no way it's going to have any sort of impact, I'm going to be fine no matter what, I guess. But to me, I, I would just wait and let the body heal. And to me, I'm like, you can DH. Like, to me, if you're DHing a little bit, hopefully that won't have an impact on Tommy John. But i got to have Bryce Harper back healthy. The worst thing possible would be he comes back, let's say, in June, plays first base, isn't particularly effective, tries DHing, that's not working out, all of a sudden re-injures himself or has another separate injury, and then gets shut down again. Like, to me, I'm like, Philadelphia is going to be in a really tough spot in that division. It's going to be hard, I think, dealing with the Mets and the Braves. Maybe a wild-card spot is attainable. But they got to make sure Bryce is 100% ready to go. And the other part of it, too, is 
you know, I think that it's interesting. First base used to always say, well, anybody can play first base, but it's harder than you realize. Like that, that first baseman has to be athletic, still able to make great picks. If he hasn't done it before, it might be a challenge. We've seen Jazz Chisholm right now in center field, how challenging that's been for him, an infielder going out to center. So I think, listen, I got no issue with someone trying it. Bryce says, I want to get back in there. Let's see how this goes. But it shouldn't necessarily be something that they're committed to. I think they have kind of have to wait and see and, and see if he's comfortable doing it. Uh, we're winding up the last couple of days of the NHL season here. Uh, just every all sixteen teams are decided for the playoffs. We just got to figure out who's playing who in round one. Uh, and as the season comes to an end, uh, a couple of longtime storylines are coming to an end. And I'll give you a couple of them, and then I'll kind of let you go where you want to with these because there's a couple of interesting ones. First time in eight years we won't have Alex Ovechkin in the playoffs. First time in sixteen years we will not have Sidney Crosby in the playoffs. And tonight appears to be the final night that we'll see Jonathan Taves in a Chicago Blackhawks uniform. Lots of long-time traditions coming to the end here in the 2022-2023 season. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I, I think specifically the fact that the Ovechkin Crosby blew me away. I said, wow, first since those six, those guys not in the playoffs. And you mentioned Taves. I mean, obviously an incredible aspect of those Blackhawks teams. They won those three Stanley Cups. He and Kane forever immortalized in Chicago. But great for Canada, right? Every time we had a big game on an international stage, you knew that he would be amazing. And the fact that he was always going to be a guy that was going to do his best and play for his country and took real pride in it. And everyone spoke about Jonathan Taves' leadership capabilities along with his natural talent on the ice. So I think I'd say thank you to Taves, not necessarily for a Blackhawk, for being a great player for Team Canada. And perhaps he'll resurface elsewhere. By the way, the race team has gone final, tied for the longest win streak to start a season since 1901. 13 and 0 with the 82 Braves and 87 Brewers. So, congrats to Taves. And as far as Crosby, you know, Ron Hextall is my boy. He was my favorite athlete growing up, but I, I think he might be in some trouble here. The GM of the Penguins, the fact they didn't even make the playoffs. Maybe Brian Burke can salvage something there, but that's really disappointing to Pittsburgh. You just you can't imagine a team with Sidney Crosby and Kenny Malkin and Chris Thing not making the playoffs. It just doesn't happen. So, I know it's tight down the stretch, and I give the Panthers credit. They really turned things up. Paul Maurice keeps saying they're going to play playoff hockey, they're going to make an impact. A year ago, President's Trophy winner, Maurice comes in. They barely make the playoffs, but they've clawed as of late. So I'm, I'm seeing if Florida can do any sort of damage. Hopefully they can avoid the Bruins, obviously. The Islanders do make it as well. So, yeah, it's definitely a changing of the guard. And for Ovechkin, again, a, a momentous year, again, on the ice, for personally, you know, dull the death of his father. I, I'm sure it was a really tough time for him, personally speaking. So it's, um, it definitely almost feels like, I don't quite say a changing of the guard, but it's just a reminder that Ovechkin and Crosby are getting up there. And if anything, you just respect the fact they've been a part of the playoffs for so many years. Uh, Cinefall podcast dropped uh, a couple of days ago for this week's edition, and I, I loved the uh, the descriptor on this one in the bio. Obviously, a star-studded episode. You had uh, movie stars, Michael Shannon, Kevin Pollack, uh, Ben Schwartz. You also dove into Air. I haven't gone and seen Air yet, but this is Ben Affleck back in the uh, you know doer of all things chair for this movie. Uh, how does uh, Air hold up as the story of Nike recruiting Michael Jordan? Well, it was fantastic. And honestly, Logo, I was pleasantly surprised because I said, I know Affleck's a really good director. You know, Argo won Best Picture. I love the town. I think Gone Baby Gone's underrated. Like, he's definitely a filmmaker that's made some good movies. But at the same time, I looked at it and I go, how is he going to make this story about a bunch of white, rich people capitalizing off a young black kid? Like, isn't this essentially what the Michael Jordan story is with Nike. And yet while watching it, it's a real testament to Affleck that he's able to make it so entertaining and it ends up being a crowd pleaser. And the way he frames it is that Nike at that time 
were the real underdogs. They were well behind Converse and Adidas. They were a running shoe. They basically had no basketball division. Very, very small money, $250,000 allocated towards signing a basketball player. And they generally split that among three guys. And early in the movie, they're discussing, all right, how about John Stockton from Gonzaga? I don't know where Gonzaga is, but let's take a shot on Stockton, et cetera. And Matt Damon's character, Sonny Vaccaro, very influential figure in basketball, says, no, we've got to get Michael Jordan. And uh, the story was gripping. He goes out there to meet Jordan's mom, played by the incredible Viola Davis. Affleck said he met with Jordan for an hour. He knows a little bit. They played cards together. But he flew out there to meet him, and he said, okay, what's important? And Jordan told him which characters had to be in the movie. And he said, you got to get my mom right. And at the time, Affleck says to him, well, who should play your mom? And Ben goes, I immediately regretted it. Because I knew once I asked him, if I didn't get who he said, he was going to be mad at me. And he said, you got to get Viola Davis. And at the time, the script only had one line uttered by Jordan's mom. So Affleck rewrote the script to make sure the role was substantial enough for someone of her talent, offered it to Viola Davis, and said, Michael Jordan wants you to play his mom, and the rest is history. She's great. The whole cast, man. Damon's outstanding. I thought Jason Bateman was really good. Chris Tucker, I haven't seen him in a movie in a while. Yeah. At the very least, Affleck got some great performances out of his cast. I was really pleasantly surprised. I think it's the, the first great movie I've seen so far in 2023. And uh, talk to me about some of the guys you had on. The, I love this week's episode, by the way. I'm a big Kevin Pollock guy. I don't, I don't know really exactly why. He's just a funny guy to me. He's got a natural sense of humor. I love The Usual Suspects. A Few Good Men You know, are, are kind of movies that were before my time that I kind of discovered as I got more into movies. So I've always been a big Kevin Pollock guy, and I really loved him uh, on the pod. But what was it uh, like for you interviewing him and, and Michael Shannon and everything for this week's edition? Well, we got lucky, man. Clearly, these Ramadan prayers are being answered because these <laughs> are amazing. I mean, dude, we got uh, Jeremy Piven and Jim Belushi last year. I mean, last excuse me, Belushi is obviously a known quantity, and Piven's a three-time Emmy Award winner for Entourage. This week, Michael Shannon, two-time Academy Award nominee. I love this guy. Like, I'm a huge fan of his. He told me a great Scorsese story about Boardwalk Empire and Revolutionary Road. He was he was just stole that movie away from DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. So he was. A real pleasure on a personal level. And then Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is one of my favorite shows on TV. I just think it's such a wonderful comedy and uh, so well done being an era of the 50s. Tony Shalhoub and Kevin Pollack together. So I think if I had Pollock individually or Shalhoub individually, it would be cool. But having them together was great. They have wonderful chemistry. I asked them about specific scenes they've done together. And if you're a Kevin Pollock fan, you'll love the story. I asked him about, again, what a surprise working with Scorsese on <laughs> Casino. He tells a really funny story. I'm not going to ruin it for you. I know you're going to listen to it. So he was good. And then Ben Schwartz. Well, i got to be completely honest. I didn't know who he was when they pitched him to me. Mm-hmm. And I said, he's in Renfield. Okay, fine. I really want to see Renfield. Uh, Nicholas Cage playing Dracula opening this Friday. And then I see his work. And I'm like, oh, my God, my, my kids love this guy. He's the voice of Sonic. He's the voice of one of the Ninja Turtles. He voiced Randy Cunningham, Ninth Grade Ninja. Yeah. He was in Parks and Rec, which I didn't watch. But I know it's a very popular show. So, dude, four guests this week on Cinema. Incredible. It's always good, but uh, you know you get those episodes that just sort of take the next level. This was one of them for sure. I uh, can't wait to listen to it, Virk. Appreciate the time as always, my man. Uh, good luck with the show today. Have a great broadcast. We'll chat with you again next week, eh? I think this is one of those hits that took it to the next level as well, Logo. Great <laughs> job, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate you, pal. Adnan Virk joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. MLB Network, NHL Network, the Cinephile Podcast. Uh, you know him. You love him. He joins us every single Thursday here on Sportsnet Today. Uh, chatting all things hockey, baseball, movies. I mean, we could chat a little bit of everything uh, with Verk. He is the man. Always appreciate him joining us uh, every single week. We'll take a break, come back on the other side, kick off Hour 2 with some more Flames conversation. It's uh, one game in the book for Matt Coronado and Dustin Wolf. 
both of them picking up a win in their first NHL debut, and uh, both of them impressing in different ways. But uh, let's ask you, the fans, who stood out more in Game 1 in a Calgary Flames sweater? It's just one game, but let's have some fun with it. Uh, Dustin Wolf or Matt Coronado in Game 1? Who are you more excited to see going forward as a member of the Calgary Flames? We'll talk about that more around the corner here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.